Welcome to Managing Marketing, a weekly podcast where we discuss the issues and opportunities facing marketing, media and advertising with industry thought leaders and practitioners. Today, I'm sitting down with Kate Garan, General Manager Marketing, specialising in B2C, digital, innovation, strategy, customer experience, leadership, insights. My God, Kate, is there nothing you can't do? Welcome, Kate. Thank you very much, Dan. What I can't do is keep a straight face in a boring meeting. (laughs) (laughs) I have also been accused of that. So, uh, in fact, I've been known to put my head down on the table as if I'm asleep when it gets too boring. But I'm sure you've uh, managed to resist that. I fake fainted, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Look, Kate, uh, it's great to to sit down and talk to you. And I'm so glad you could make the time because you and I go back, well, a reasonable distance to a previous time when you and I worked in advertising agencies. We did. It's a billion years ago. And you were an account director. Yep. And you had clients that were, if I remember rightly, were quite, you know, quite big corporate, you know, consumer packaged goods type clients. Yes. Whereas I was the retail bunny. I was doing all the retail and the local stuff. But... I always remember sitting in my office in the creative department and I could tell that you were down briefing one of the creative teams because there'd be so much laughter coming from there. What was it that, you know, what, is it you, just your natural uh, uh, fun personality or is this part of something that you identified that you bring to that role? One thing I learnt from agencies and carried through into you know corporate and the marketing side as well is really the ability to foster relationships because the way you got yourself prioritized in an agency was through good relationships so you would see me sitting beside the producers just having a chat too you would see me and I wasn't always brief and creative I like to go down and talk to them because there's no more joy than working in an agency and dealing with the clever banter of creatives and trying to keep the hell up with it yeah. Okay. So, but I, I have to say that laughter was always part of my perception of you from those days, and I just, you know, is do you see that as just part of your personality? It is. I only have the capacity to be me. Uh, so, it is. It's, and it's part of yeah, talking to people and understanding what they're about, and then they relax. And God, you spend too much time at work to not have some fun. Mm. So, you know, you had your time in uh, agency land, but what uh, drew you across the fence to uh, become a marketer? What was the opportunity or, or what was the insight that you had? I, I, I'm, it's hard to put my finger on it, in fact. It was because I always, like from the 80s, I can recite every Mojo jingle, like I always wanted to be in advertising um, and marketing, but it's One of those things where I was actually working on a client and I could see that there's a lot more going on on the client side than there was, you know, differently to the agency. There's a more breadth. And the client actually called and actually headhunted me over and I've never said no to an opportunity. Um, And off I went. And I swear for the first six weeks I sat in front of my Nielsen data at my FMCG desk and nearly cried. So I'm never, ever going to understand this. 
Because in an agency, you sit there and you go, you talk to the thing about the client, oh, they've spent all their budget. What on earth are they doing all day? But the comms part, you're lucky if it's 10 to 15% of the job. So what I started to really love is the breadth of marketing um, and the stimulus. It was a little bit, it was a bit scary, but my God, you love it. Um, I have to say I'm impressed with the fact that sitting there as an, uh, as an account director, you could see beyond the day-to-day interactions that there was more going on on the other side. I mean, you'd already identified that before you made the move. Yeah, one of the things that I did and I think is lacking a lot of account management today, and I tried to encourage it with the agencies, like I would pay retainers so they would come and sit in our office. I spent a lot of time in my clients' offices. I didn't go in for meetings and then run skittering dumb in my ta- in taxi with my cab charge back to the back to the agency. I used to walk around the halls and I knew the wider people in the clients. I knew the sales guys. I would sit in project teams within, you know, their, you know, if you're doing a whole big promotion, you may sit there and you might be just doing the commerce part of it. But there's a whole thing in terms of the packaging, the R&D that are involved. Sit in those project teams. But you understand the wider business and that's so key from an agency side and from a client side to make sure your agency understand what are the biggest, bigger, wider KPIs and you pick up an awful lot more work by just walking the halls and being nosy. It is true. I mean, uh, it's interesting in the last 20 years doing what we do at Trinity P3, the agencies are the mo- that are the most successful in building relationships are the ones where the account management team does spend lots of time face-to-face. Now, obviously, in the last, you know, 12 months with COVID, that's much more difficult. But, you know, this idea of just spending time and getting under the skin of what else is happening in the client's business must be so important, as you say. You will never become indispensable by just going to meetings. Mm. So you're across at the client, you're yep. looking at all this, uh, what it used to be called semi-data, you know, uh, warehouse uh, extractions <laughs> and, and uh, Nielsen reports and all sorts of things, just staring at the screen. Uh, has there been any point where you thought, oh, my God, I'd made a t- terrible mistake, I, I want to run back to the agencies? Uh, no, I loved it because but what I did when I moved into marketing, I hope I brought a little bit of that agency vibe along with me. And, you you know, on the marketing side, they're not all as boring as you think they are when you're on the agency. <laughs> they're actually some of them quite cool and funny. You still get that. You do still miss a little bit of that really extreme banter that you get out of creatives that can sometimes be shut down in corporate. But one thing I can say is on the corporate side of marketing is don't make your lives boring like you're in the best roles in the business, um, make yourself central to it, but God, have some fun. You get to be a bit creative still. And you didn't uh, just go into a, um, a corporate comms role or a, no. a marketing comms role. You actually went into some fairly sort of heavy areas as far as, you know, product in, new product development, product innovation. That must have been fascinating. Oh, the, yeah, it's the old school FMCG where you're actually managing a small business. So marketing is not just comms. And if you think it's just comms, that's actually so far degrading what you can actually add, add to a business. It's understanding, it's the insights of it, but it's understanding the data and how you can actually 
know, deal with the trade. Like if you're dealing with Coles and Woolworths, like the, just going to one of those meetings like gives you a whole new education in how to operate. Um, but also understanding the complexity of R&D, the engineers, and you've got certain personality types in marketing and agencies. You're dealing with very different personality types, very different ways they motivate themselves. So after surviving agencies and, you know, how to keep motivated and survive in there to then go into corporate and, you know, dealing with the diversity of characters, you know, from finance and people who run the lines and do the planning in plants, it's it really makes you actually think about how you operate in a business. I, I It's funny you should say that because I had the... Um the privilege of a client inviting me into a sort of marketing comms um, uh, workshop, away time. And they got someone in that did one of those personality quadrants. I can't remember which one, but there's a few of them. It was, uh, and and they had the agency had done it and and the marketing team. And this consultant that did the quadrants laid out this huge, um, cloth on the yeah. floor with the four quadrants and then everyone had their results and they said right now go and it was red and yellow and green and blue and green and blue was like analytical and process and red and yellow was people and, and emotions and everyone was in the red and yellow like everyone in the organization except there was two people standing over on the green and blue and they were both the marketing procurement team (laughs) that were standing all alone going, are we the only ones that are analytical? You know, it was fascinating to see. Yeah, it's amazing. You get the certain types who are the sales guys, you know, might be more extrovert, extreme, but also, you know, they thrive on the deal but can, you know, but like to cut straight to the chase. It's you Actually, the other exercise to do is put them all in one of those escape rooms and see how a marketer tries to escape the room versus a salesperson or someone in procurement or an engineer. Yeah. That's funny. So that seems to infer from what you've said is that you have a fascination with people as well. You know, that you understand, you like to understand people and you like to find ways of engaging them and motivating them. Um. Some of the teams I've worked with may disagree, but <laughs> they'll, have a, they'll have a laugh at that. But underneath I am, I'm conscious of what people are thinking and what motivates them always. And sometimes, you know, perhaps to my detriment, it makes me sort of downplay what I do so that they feel, you know, to empower them. I'm never one to actually yet come over the top. You need to motivate people underneath you and say, you know, you can pass me. That's fine because otherwise, you know, why are we all there? Well, it is a, a famous quote. I'm, I'm not sure if it's um, a Branson, but, you know, I think it is Richard Branson said, you know, why hire people, good people, and tell them what to do? What you want to do is hire good people and have them tell you what to do. <laughs> and I think that's such a Oh, a but that makes insight. me feel better. <laughs> <laughs> well, because, you know, one of the things that you see is, and and especially here, is marketers complaining about, especially to us, you know, Trinity P3 puts us in a fairly unique position of people coming to you complaining about their agencies. 
We don't get a lot of clients phoning up and saying, oh, my agency's <laughs> wonderful and that's Oh, by the way, we want to run a pitch. Yeah. But, yeah, so, so it's often we hear the complaints. And the complaint is that the agency's disengaged, they're sort of going through the motions, they're you know, fulfilling on the requirement, but there's no proactivity, there's no excitement, there's no sense of a priority. There'd be two reasons for that. One of them would be potentially the fact that there might be something internal going on in the agency or they're not giving the head hours allocated to the client. You know, if, it's, if they're not being billed for the head hour, they're not going to actually spend the time on your business. So it becomes very you know, transactional. transactional. Or secondly, it's the way the client's dealing with the agency. Because yeah. I was wondering, you know, during uh, you've been a marketer in very senior roles. Have you what have you seen agencies underperform? The agencies that you've worked with, how, how much do you take responsibility for the performance of those relationships? Because a lot of marketers seem to think it's up to the agency. No, I actually take, I feel a lot of responsibility. One of my things when I always sit down with a new agency, I say two things. It's my job to motivate you to do better and more work on my business than any other client you've got. That's brilliant. <laughs> that's my job. And the second one is I turn to them and say, scare me. Just, oh, okay. just try. Just try and scare me. They're yet to scare. No one's scared me yet. Come back with creative where you just go, oh, oh, can I do that? And then you go, oh, yeah, hold on. Yeah, I can. Not stupid scare, but, you know, just push yeah. it because I think creatives, they start to assume that the client is conservative and will have a a boundary, and you start to, that's where you just get ordinary. Just say, you know, have one thing that really scares me. Yeah. That's uh, that's unbelievable because I think that is one of the problems, isn't it, is risk aversion is actually what uh, makes agencies underperform. But uh, let's explore that idea of risk because yeah. you said not stupid risk what you talk oh, what, what are you talking about that's something you can't do legally like right. you know <laughs> just something that just like that's just not impractical it's impractical to be able to execute yeah or what about if it was strategically right and scary versus just scary for the sake of scary I mean, scary, there's an old saying that if you want uh, attention, I can do it by dropping my pants in the middle of the road. I'll get attention, but is it the right sort of attention? Um, how can you put it? I guess when they presented, let's go back to the AIDS Grim Reaper ad, yep. that would have gone in front of the client and they would have gone, you know, it could have been done in a very corporate, this is what happens, but that got an emotional response. Yeah, the Grim Reaper bowling the yeah. uh, ace ball. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's just one of those things that, you know, is that going to, if you go back to the strategy, you go back to the one thing, which is the belief that is stopping the person do what you want them to do, which comes from an insight. If it matches that, take your subjective opinion and your own personal subjectivity out of it. Just subjectiveness kills so much good creative. Mm. Yeah, it's the uh, it's the personal opinion or oh, the or I, the I'll, I'll just uh, get my uh, partner to uh, have a look at it and I'll get back to you. So the research of one, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we call it the cleaner test. 
Um, that <laughs> That's a good one. The, um, and this goes back to, I guess, what I learned in agencies and working with, and you know, like John Meskell and Simon Greed, and he said, and I learned so much from just sitting, talking, and listening to them. Number one, I knew what what motivates a creative. So as a marketer, you have your CV, and whether you've done a good job or a terrible job, you still worked in that business for that period of time and can complain can claim that experience. As a creative, you're hocking your folio and basically your soul up and down the street to try and get a job. That is your CV. You have to understand to motivate a creative, what they're presenting to you is actually part of the steps on their career and what will get them the next or the biggest role. Mm-hmm. So if you actually understand the motivation, like if, you, if you're going to like not be the person who allows creative to sing, um, you're not going to get number one, the best creatives on your business and you're not going to get the best creative because you know what, they'll spend time on the client and the passion for someone who is. It's really interesting uh, that you say that because the other observation I've made running pitches is the number of times that uh, marketers will say, we want the best creative agency as part of their brief to the type of agency, only to then appoint the best creative agency and produce ordinary work. You know, I use it almost, the metaphor I'd use is you buy a thoroughbred racehorse and then you hitch it up to a cart to just drag the uh, the garbage around the streets, you yeah. know. It, it just doesn't seem to right. And often they'll come back and go, oh, my God, you, you know, this was supposed to be the best creative agency, but they're doing ordinary work for us. And I go, well, it's funny because they're doing great work for all their other clients. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um- yeah, it's it's one of those things and it's also having the respect for giving them the time to work on the creative. Um, the And go back to the brief and I always go back to a marketer shouldn't start with a brief when it comes to comms. They basically start to, you know, they've got a whole process before they actually write the brief. So if you're sitting at your desk on your own to write a brief, that is going to be bang on boring. Mm-hmm. Um, hold it up to the light. And the more white, the better <laughs> on the page. Um, I know creatives used to cut briefs down to two words, two words with tension, and that's what they'd work with. They'd read it all, but then they'd just work with those two words. The um, Put some passion and creativity into your brief. Um, make it one thing. Have an insight, not a fact. So one of the things uh, I've heard from a, a few marketers is they actually like to, you know, work collaboratively. On the brief, as in they do, they do all the, the business side of it, work out you know what they're trying to achieve and define all of those parts of it, but actually enjoy the part of sharing it with the agency and getting the agency's input rather than just handing it over as a fait accompli. I've done both. Um, when I was at Craft Foods, we would sit with the agency ad nauseum, and a brief could take months <laughs> to, to get me. You know, you'd be polishing pyramids. Um, but absolutely working together on the brief and the background you know, leading into it, but still write your own brief as right. a marketing side of it. Don't never um, defer to an agency that joy that you get in writing a really good brief. Um, so work with them on it, but it's also the way you brief them. So the, one of the greatest stories I ever heard was an account director was working on Sally's, like, Gap filler party. Did you ever hear this story? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I haven't yeah. heard the story. Gap filler party. And he had a brief for, you know, how boring would that brief be, right, to go take him to creative? This guy walked into the creative's office, 
had a hammer, or was it a mallet, smashed a hole in their wall, put the putty on the desk, turned around and walked out. <laughs> that was the brief. Now, how do you make the brief come to life for people? So when we're at Canon, for example, we might be, you know, if it's launching a new product, we would get the guys out and we'd take the all the agency people who'd be working on it out on a photographic experience to actually pick up the cameras whether they're photographers or not, but feel the, you know, the ergonomics that are put into the camera themselves, but also the joy that it is with getting behind a camera and actually completely zoning out and, you know, being mindful of just that moment what you're looking at through the lens. So so creating opportunities for an emotional experience because yes. ultimately that's the source of great creativity, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, and that's what that emotional experience needs to come across in the creative and just emailing a piece, emailing a document is not going to do it. Sitting in an office, and I know often time restricts and you end up sitting in an office, but, my God, if you're going to do it, just brief it with some passion and make the insight come to life for them and the one thing and be open to questions. It's interesting. I love the fact that you said that because James Webb Young, who was mm. a big name in the J. Walter Thompson yeah. world uh, where we both worked, uh, wrote a book called A Technique for Producing Ideas, a very small book. But uh, one of the things that he absolutely recommends for people producing ideas, creative people, is once you've got the brief and you've understood it, then experience as much as you can of the client's business, of the consumer, of the, the way that the product works, the way the product makes you feel. And he said that's the time that it takes to actually immerse yourself completely in that particular brief and then allow yourself time to for your subconscious to then generate ideas. This is potentially, you know, months. But we live in a world now where there's an expectation of turning out ideas almost like a machine, don't we? It is, but if you've... See, this is where creatives need to get out from behind their desks. And as a client, you need to invite them out from behind their desks. Is they should be involved enough and understand the business before even the brief arrives. And that's one of the frustrations I find often with the relationship between client and agency is the the um, the creators are kept. It's like, do they need you know uh, someone to actually help them cross the road? Like, do they have to have an account management person? Whenever you're not you're not going to like stab them to death with your boringness as a client. Like it's just, it's be, let the creatives talk to the client, let the creatives, and if a creative ever said to me, look, I'd like a like one-on-one immersion with the consumer, bang, I would make it happen. Mm. It's funny, isn't it, because uh, I, I remember uh, feeling sometimes that you were the sideshow that was wheeled out for special occasions. Oh, <laughs> special uh, needs creative, I suppose <laughs> I'd call it. Like it's just like. And I also even more recently had a conversation. I said to uh, an agency, why are you sending on a shoot, you know, a, a, a television shoot? And there was uh, five or six account management people going. And I said, why are you sending so many account management people when, and they said, well, there's five clients. We've got to match them one for one so that we can manage the clients because we don't want them to get upset on the shoot or to upset the shoot. And I'm going, my God, is there a mentality here that both the client and somehow creative and production people 
just can't possibly be left in, alone in a room because <laughs> it'll, it'll either come to blows or, or destroy the relationship. It is ridiculous because if in the end that was what, God's sake, that's what will make a relationship with a, between a client and an agency. You know, one of my best friends is one of the best TV producers in the country. Like, and, you know, and I can hold a conversation, have a cup of tea and even like a drink with her. <laughs> and she doesn't, want to give, she doesn't want to kill me. I have had the privilege through working at Canon is where I have direct relationships with directors. Mm. So we got to make a lot of uh, between content without the agency because, you know, that's we, we didn't need to because they, they, they were the customers and the consumers who actually understood the product best. Yeah. But you get to talk to the directors and they be brave. And it's just, and if your agency culturally is building up barriers, well, number one, agencies need to address that because it's just going, it will go one way. And number two, find yourself an agency where you can collaborate mm. because that's the key is you have to be able to collaborate. Your agencies need to collaborate together like, and clients need to not hug their jobs and open the door. Okay, so one of the things that we know from all the research on collaboration is that it's built on and requires mutual respect. So what do you have any advice on how to achieve that? Because I have seen situations where there's been uh, toxic tension between the client and the agency, which, of course, is never going to lead to a great outcome, is it? How do you build respect? How do you build trust between yourself and the as the marketer and your agencies? Number one, be honest. So as an agency, if you're struggling to crack it or if you've got shiploads of other things on, God, just ring the client and tell us. Don't talk rot. Don't make lies around what's going on. Just be honest. Um, number two is don't be a dick. We talked about this earlier. It's like... <laughs> You know, res- respect each other's opinions, but you an agency can only add the value for what they actually understand what's going on. So open the doors, help them understand the wider business KPIs and issues, and you never know where they might be able to come back with something that's like, you know, proactive, Lord help us, and might actually crack a problem that you've been, work- you know, working away on your own with. So I, be willing be, to share. Be willing to share. Again, don't job hug. Yeah. which is the whole thing, which is share the wider business opportunities. We used to KPI agencies on our business goals. So everyone in marketing was KPI'd against the overall business goals, the same as sales, the same as finance. That was the key goal. And the agencies, it was put in theirs as well for their reviews. Yeah. And and it's amazing what can be achieved with trust because I, I remember being told that, uh, you know, that great ad for Honda, you know, where the parts just sort of rolled and interacted, that apparently took months and months and months for the agency to crack it. And it was Wyden Kennedy yeah. in, in the UK. And, you know, on a regular basis, the client would be going, well, how, when am I going to see the creative for the brief? Oh, we're working on it. We're working on it. First of all, the client trusting the agency yeah. That even though they kept pushing out a deadline, that it was going to be worthwhile. Yeah. Secondly, the agency willing to back themselves and not go in with something that was half done. Yeah. But, you know, asking for and getting the time. You know, this is an incredibly dynamic uh, uh, relationship that produced a, a phenomenal outcome because I think you'd have, you know, that's one of those ads that will be remembered forever. Forever. 
it's um that's the concept that's the relationship outside of the meetings yeah. that does that without fail it's the the touch base going this is where we're at and just get constant feedback well we sort of not quite cracked this but it's constant back and forth but actually help the client if you're taking longer with creative they have to be able to sell it in internally like depending on how senior the client is or the you know dynamics mm. internally they have to be able to sell it in you have to actually help tell the story to management as to why it's taking so long but no and and management has to trust it as well mm. so the the directors of the business have to be able to say you know what you know it's if we're going to spend the money let's spend it when we need it and spend it on what we need to spend it on and not on something half-assed yeah in, in that case the honda case the apparently the creatives ultimately um sat in the client's office and started playing the game mousetrap <laughs> and the clients what, what about my ad well yeah. this is it this is the concept ah, yeah. so what a great way of short circuiting to your point about selling it internally i mean they were presenting yeah. to the head of marketing but yeah. you know what a great way of having a almost a metaphor for describing the idea that the, the yeah. honda works so well that it's just like mousetrap every piece is designed to work with the next which i think is what's so good about it I just want to. Um, you said you've uh, you always throw down the cha challenge to the agency to scare me. Yeah. Okay. When you're sitting there as a senior marketer and the agency is presenting their response to the brief, what's going through your mind? What? How do you get yourself into a place? Because you know, there's also the fact you've said uh, marketing comms is ten percent of your job. Yeah. So you've spent 90% of the day thinking about all the other challenges and issues you've got, and suddenly the agency's sitting there and they go, we want to show you the creative for this brief. How do you get your head into thinking about that is, judgment? Because you would have gone probably back-to-back -back meetings and at some stage early in the day you would have printed out that one-page brief. Not the reverse brief, can I reinforce? Do not measure your creative on a reverse brief. I don't know why they're down done but that's another thing <laughs> well okay before you go ahead um it's always been explained to me that it's proof that we actually understood your brief <laughs> god's sake you know that part of communication if you tell me something and i repeat it back to you yeah you can you can do that verbally um, <laughs> the, um and just have a chat um so you've gone in back to back but can i tell you it is the highlight of a marketer's week, month, when you get to go in and you've been waiting on this creative and you've got a little bit of adrenaline. And the last thing you want to do is be bored. Um, but you, you're excited is what it is. So you switch over pretty quickly, but you have to, the best thing that you can do when you're presenting back is just very briefly and not boringly reiterate the brief that's come back to them. And then they go, oh, look, They've, they've got it. Yep, that's spot on. That's good. Like we're waiting for the we're, creative. We're connected we're as connected. far as. Yeah, we've connected. Like what's happened to the good old brief intro and do it and don't present back on PowerPoint with 20 pages before you get to the creative. You just want to cut to the chase because that's when the gut kicks, it kicks in. You'll go, yep, or no. And it's actually not that often that you will see creative and you go, oh, my God, cracked it. You know what I mean? It's yeah. just. The joy when that happens is um, as, a, as a client and the excitement because the 
biggest barrier, it was Shaquita King always said it to me from, um, she always said that the biggest barrier in creative is the walls of the client is then selling it internally. Mm. So if you don't have the passion to resell it and don't try and sell the creative yourself, it's often as a client, bring the damned creatives in to manage it. to spend Internally. It internally. Yeah. Bring the creatives in when you're selling it internally. Make them help, you know, make it come to life. Don't... Um, and don't get the account management to present it. <laughs> Sorry. Well, <laughs> well and, and uh, isn't it also that when you do see great, a great piece of creative, there is almost always a shortcut to getting to the nub of the idea? Yes. You know, I always think if you're explaining a piece of creative by reading through a script, then you really don't have an idea. No. Because an idea, you know, like I said before, you know, Honda, mousetrap. Yeah. You know, there, there should be a way of... Short-circuiting that. Yeah, that, and that's exactly right because that's what an actual idea is. Uh, I've had creator presented which was, oh, don't worry, it'll be beautiful. I said, well, what's the idea of a woman running around in a dress made out of lettuce for a salad dressing? <laughs> 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 Just like, but it'll be a beautiful dress. No, but there's no idea in it. But what if versus, it wilts? <laughs> versus the ad that was never made but should always have been made was the um, insight. When you eat salad, it's like eating grass. Right? So picture a cow eating grass and then it's just eating grass and chewing, but another cow being absolutely ecstatic eating its grass. And you go, oh my God, got it. Yeah, because a bottle of salad dressing's fallen on the grass. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. That's just like, it, you didn't need to read the script. Yeah. It just, it comes to yeah, that. This, this that's salad dressing the, makes everything, everything taste right. Great. Yes. Yeah. Um, got it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you go, yeah, so it clicks really quickly. A, dem- a great demonstration. Yeah, and you don't need 20 pages of faux strategy, which is just regurgitating back what you've already told them. Or weeks and thousands, tens of thousands of dollars of concept testing to uh, to justify making the ad. Or to justify making something not that, making that, the that ad. then becomes average yeah. because it becomes averaged out. You have to be brave. Um, you have to know what an idea is. Mm. But without fail, that will always come from... For example, understanding your insight. And that's when you talk about your agencies. We might be talking about creative today or media agencies, but let's not forget about the research agency. So when you've got your, re- if you've done research, go get them to come to creative to help brief them to really make it come to life because a research document does not make an insight come to life. Yeah. And, and that's got me thinking about the other thing, which is I imagine that in some products that you've worked on, that you've been you know, either the target market or could relate to the target market. What about in situations where you're judging creative for a target market that is not you? Because I think human beings are very natural to, to think whether I, part of it is do I like it on a personal level? Yeah. And yet you're not the target audience. Have you had that problem or do you have a solution to it? Um. Well, as a marketer, think about what it's like presenting to sales. And they go, I don't like it. And it's subjective. And the joy that you turn around and say, well, that's perfect because you're not the type, you're not, you're a 55-year-old white male <laughs> and not a 25-year-old, you know, woman. You know what I mean? You go, so that's perfect that you don't like it. Um, so it's a matter of then you should have done the work before the brief to actually have empathy with the insight and the target market. Because uh, do you remember Ant's Pants and the Yes, ad and the, with the echidna? Sikkim Rex. Yep. Right? 
So uh, Jack Geddes was the mm -hmm. account director at uh, Campaign Palace yeah. and he was handed that creative and told, go out to Whole Proof and sell it or don't come back. <laughs> and Jack's sitting there going, in those days, you know, in, in less enlightened times, almost all of the senior marketing people and decision makers were middle-aged men. Yeah. Uh, making underwear for women. Yeah. But, hey, you know, who are we to Potentially judge? still are. Yes. <laughs> so so he, um, he said... He had to think about how do I get their mindset into the target audience. And so what he did was uh, he took with him all of the, you know, in those days, Dolly, Clio, Cosmo and laid those out. And he said, I'm going to present some creative to you that's not for you. It's for the people that read these magazines. They're your daughters, your nieces, that you know, they're all of these other people. So I want you to look at it from that perspective. And I thought that was a brilliant piece of framing to help the the client, the marketers, get their head into who is the target audience. How 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 politically correct can we be in this? As, or the, incorrect. There's a great story that my colleague, and she probably won't want me to name her. When she was like 25 years old, she was working on uh, impotency medication. Okay. And they're all sitting there going, how do we understand this? Like, you know, they've never encountered it. And one of her bosses walked in and he, they said, we don't understand what, what it is and what it feels like. We are, how does this relate to the, the, the audience? And he goes, um, okay, picture this. You're trying to put an oyster into a parking meter. And they went, right, got it. So it's how you actually... <laughs> frame it. It's called framing. It's called framing. Um, Let's frame the problem in a way that everyone can relate to. Yeah, exactly. But that's all that, yeah, it's the same as the audience. So, like, so like when you're talking about mothers, so there's one ad which has a mother skipping in a puddle, like, and we won't name names, but it's just like... And I find that actually offensive as a mother. Oh, like she eats, you know, what the kid's looking at her because it's a mum actually having fun. Don't define women, even mothers, as being mothers. Yeah. It's And don't define them as being wives. Oh, I'm trying to handle my family with, you know, my husband, that sort of thing. No, define women as women. being women. And people. And people with quite probably bawdy sense of, sense of humour that, you know, we're not Victorian women, you know, constrained anymore. It's you have to really understand the audience and how far you can take it. And it kills such great creative when people get their own personal subjectivity and their own fears and you can't sell it on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, look, I've just... Uh this has been a great conversation, Kate. Thank you. Uh, I, I think I'm sure there's hours more that we could Can talk about. Can I come about. back? <laughs> <laughs> well, absolutely. We, there's so much more that I wanted to talk to you about, but we've run out of time. I just, um, before we go, I'd just be really interested in throughout your career, what's the piece of work or the campaign or the idea that you're most proud of? I'd really love to know. Thank you.